listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to a new episode. Recording this on a Sunday. Don't forget, subscribe to our podcast network. We are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we are there. And of course, silverscreenroll.com for all your Lakers needs. We're Harrison, Sabrina, Christian, the entire crew will have you covered through the NBA's restart in Orlando. Joining me today, one of the people behind the magic at Silver Screen and Roll, Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Jess. How about you? Uh, all things considered, I am thrilled to have sports back on my <laughs> television, to be honest with you. I was watching the, uh, the Lakers-Clippers game on, uh, on Thursday and just was like, all right, thank goodness this is, this is back on and, and kind of giving us a bit of a distraction from all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. Uh, I do have to ask, what do you think about the viewing experience so far? Okay, so number one, I thought that it was very weird that the sideline, like the out-of-bounds line, was so thin to start off, and I'm glad that they have rectified that and made the line much thicker. Um, I know Memphis's court generally looks like that. It has a really thin out-of-bounds line, and it's always bothered me because the out-of-bounds is the same color as inbounds, and it's very confusing. So that was one thing that, you know, really stuck out, and I'm glad they fixed it. Uh, But the virtual fans thing is taking some getting used to because – there's a lot of empty spots for the virtual fans. And <laughs> it's weird because I know that like people are watching the game and it's not like they're, I mean, they're playing to empty arenas, obviously, but it's just so very strange that they have this way to let people, you know, visually be there. And then for some reason, those seats are not being filled. I don't know. It's, it's very weird. It is kind of weird. Yeah. I'm with you on that too. It's again, I know they're doing the best they can to make it seem like it's um, it's something normal, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, okay. I, I love having sports back on, don't we? As I said, off yeah, the top, of but um, obviously with our jobs too, it really, really helps. We're not writing about the uh, 10 best Lakers in history and worst <laughs> Lakers in history and coming up with stuff to, to, uh, to kind of put some content around. But um, yeah, it's, it's weird for me. I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know how big of a hockey fan you are. I know you like the Kings and stuff, but I don't mm-hmm. know how much you've seen from the NHL's restart. And like, that is a super weird experience for me because there's just no energy in the building. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Thing. like there's there's no buzz there's no and especially during the playoffs where where the intensity you know kicks up a notch obviously but uh i'm not like that's kind of been the weird part of getting used to for me and i find with the nba it's almost like watching a team like do like we were saying like a scrimmage game or or playing you know in a in like a, a ymca setting but i'm not used to it yet i find it with the and this is no disrespect to any of the team play-by-play guys but i find mm-hmm. that you know having like uh, mike breen and and uh, Kevin Harlan doing the commentating, that kind of makes it feel like a big game and feel, feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad we're, we're kind of trying to get at that. But yeah, so far, I mean, again, it's everybody's going through something in the world. So, I mean, we can't sit here and that's a total first world complaint. Like, hey, uh, there's a pandemic going on in the world and, and multiple people have died. And I'm concerned with how, the, uh, how it looks on television. Uh, jumping into the Lakers. If you don't know, they end up beating the Clippers. That was actually a really entertaining game. A little bit sloppy and sluggish, which you would expect after not playing any, any real NBA action for uh, for nearly five months, but the Raptors contest yesterday, uh, Lakers lost 107-92. What were some of the main takeaways from, from this one for you? So I think the primary thing I got from this one was that the Lakers seemed very motivated to beat the Clippers on Thursday, and that is to be expected. It's a conference rival. It's a division rival. It's the team everyone suspects the Lakers will end up facing in the Western Conference Finals. If they had lost to the Clippers, they would have lost the season series, and there just would have been a nonstop storm of takes about, you know, what we could be expecting going into a potential Western Arms finals. So it was very important that they win that game. On the other hand, playing the Raptors, there's, there's really no extra sauce. 
You know, I mean, LeBron has historically done very well against the Raptors in the playoffs. Obviously, that was with a different team. Um, the Lakers did not beat the Raptors earlier this season. That was a game that kind of transpired very similarly to this one in the sense that the, it was very close towards the start of the fourth quarter and the Raptors went on a little run and there was just no getting by them. But I definitely felt like the intensity level from the Lakers was lower from the get-go. Uh, not so much on the defensive end. I thought they were great, but just like that commitment that you saw from LeBron to get to the basket on big possessions against the Clippers, that just wasn't really there against the Raptors. And I can't say it's because the Raptors are a much better defensive team because, again, they were going against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George the first time around. So it just yeah, exactly. felt like this was a game that didn't matter to them as much. And I understand why, because it literally does not matter. The Lakers magic number to clinch the number one seed in the West is one. And they have 12 more chances to do that because there are six <laughs> Clipper games and six Laker games. So I get why they didn't care. Um, obviously if, you know, in the event the Lakers do end up facing the Raptors in the finals, this is just like a data point to look at, but I just didn't feel like the same energy level. And I don't want to take away anything from what Toronto did. They're an excellent team, an excellent defensive team. They do a lot of things that make the Lakers uncomfortable, things that would genuinely worry me if they were to face each other in the playoff series, but it just didn't feel like the Lakers tried as hard as they could have to win that one. And that's the, and, and that's the thing too. And I think one interesting part that, that uh, for, from the Raptors game, LeBron and AD couldn't get things going. I mean, they were, they were struggling a bit and, and, you know, you look at, they shot a combined nine for, for 22 from the field, only had 34 mm -hmm. points combined. Uh, they were plus minus was terrible. Again, not a, not a totally telling stat, but um, other guys didn't step up. Like mm -hmm. Kuzma had a, had, a, had a good night, didn't shoot particularly great, but he finished with 16 points. And then you saw kind of the, the shortcoming of the Lakers. And this is where I think a guy like Dion Waiters is going to be able to help eventually down the line and, and a little bit more of it. He, had, he finished in double digits and Caruso ended up with 11 points. But I find that when the team was struggling and you go 10 for 40 from the three-point line, you're probably not going to win many games anyways. But um, having different out, outcomes or pretty me outlooks, um, not outlooks, but different options, I, I would say with uh, – with who can bring, who can step up in in the present in the in the situation where LeBron and AD are struggling, and and I saw I think the Raptors did a, did a good job of that. How like do you think that's going to be an issue for the Lakers once they get into a playoffs, especially if they play a hot team like like Portland, where Damian Lillard can fill it up? I remember back in mm -hmm. February, uh, the Blazers beat the Lakers at State Center, and uh, it was just a Dame Lillard show. And then the Lakers just AD was struggling, LeBron was playing pretty well, but nobody else was stepping up when they were kind of struggling. Do you think that's going to be something they have to figure out as they go forward? Or do you think they, this was just a bad game and you could chalk it up to that? So, I mean, obviously, like, the Lakers had not played a meaningful basketball game in over four months before playing the Clippers, right? And mm -hmm. there is a certain lack of legs that come with that because, you know, shooters have to get into a rhythm. And for whatever reason, Danny Green is not in a rhythm. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope is not in a rhythm. And there's really nobody else on the Lakers roster who I would consider a shooter who will get meaningful minutes because I don't think J.R. Smith is going to get meaningful minutes. But I'm not terribly concerned about Danny Green because every single look he got at three, I, I would say five out of the six threes he got up against Toronto, I like those shots. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of thing where I expect him to be a 40% three-point shooter, and that just means there's going to be some vagaries where he goes 0 for 6 one night and 4 for 6 the next night. Like, that's just how the math works, right? Contavious mm -hmm. um, Caldwell-Pope – the last two years with the Lakers, he has taken some time to get going at the start of the season to the point where people get very, very upset with KCP at the start of the season because he has been objectively terrible. And he always seems to figure out how to round his way into form. Now, the Lakers don't have a ton of time for him to round into form. Uh, it took him about six to eight games at the start of this season, I would say. Uh, a similar stretch at the start of the 2018-19 season. 
he basically has that much time before the playoffs start for him to really get going. And his role is more important now, obviously, because he is starting in place of Avery Bradley. So I'm a little more concerned about KCP than I am about Danny Green because he's kind of the guy I think of as like the shooter on the Lakers. You know, Danny Green does defensive things and he has a role that's a little less dependent on him knocking down the three ball. But KCP, if he's not making threes, I don't really see what he's providing. Um, but like you mentioned the 10 for 40 with the Lakers threes, only 13 of them were corner threes. The rest of the 27 were above the break threes. So it's not like they were getting a ton of great looks for their non, you know, green KCP shooters. Like for instance, Kuzma, I think is a great corner three-point shooter. I think I checked Cleanly Glass the other day. He shoots like 51% on corner threes and about 25% on the other ones. So it's the kind of threes that the Raptors were giving us that it makes it seem like we got like a nice great volume of shots, but I don't think they were all excellent looks. And again, that's just a matter of like, if we were to play the Raptors in a playoff series, it's the kind of thing where you would learn how to deal with, you know, over the course of repetition. And it's just harder to make those sort of adjustments when the games are coming every other day, you know, but just, you know, to come back to the shooting thing, I'm, I'm not terribly concerned. I feel like those things will normalize. Like obviously the Lakers don't have standout shooters, but they have enough guys who are capable of hitting shots to where I think those will normalize. Yeah, I, I think, I think so too. And I don't want to put too much into it. Like you mentioned, I mean, you're looking at this team, they're going to be the number one seed. That's, that's not debatable. I mean, unless mm-hmm. there's a, like a, something horrendous happens, right. you know what I mean? I, I don't see that. Uh, I don't see that, that coming about by any point, but yeah, I mean, I, I look at it the same way. I'm like, it's, it's a game that, and you, like you mentioned, I think the one that they, they had to win. And I think it was good for them was to get that Clippers game because it's kind of like, okay, that puts any doubt away that they're going to have uh, the top seed and take on whoever ends up being the number eight seed in the West, when you, when you look at those teams that are in it right now, I mean, the Sacramento Kings, come on, what a bunch of brutal <laughs> efforts that they had. I mean, let, let's oh talk about, I mean, yeah, I was like, dude, there were all this talk and Buddy Heald's like, oh, you know, we want all the smoke and whatever. And you guys lay two eggs like that. Uh, Portland, Portland looked re- really good. Uh, Lillard looked great today. But um, what, what team do you think poses the biggest threat out of those that are going to be available or that have a realistic chance now? If you, I don't think the Spurs are going to get there. I don't think the Kings are going to get there. But maybe out of, you know, Memphis, Portland, and, uh, and New Orleans, which team do you think will post the biggest threat to the Lakers? Well, it's interesting because the Spurs are actually currently in number nine. So I wouldn't say that they have no chance. And they've looked very good thus far in their first two games, uh, even without, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge in Orlando. It's interesting. I didn't consider San Antonio at all when I was thinking about the potential eight seed options for the Lakers heading into this little restart, but I would just be thrilled if the Lakers got to play San Antonio because I don't think there's a damn thing they can do to stop LeBron James. <laughs> or Davis. Uh, I know Jakob Pertl is having a nice little tournament here, but uh, like literally you're going to put DeMar DeRozan on LeBron James. Like we talked about the, you know, LeBron V Raptors thing earlier. Like we know how what happens there. It's not yeah. going to end well. Uh, so I am actually just excitedly rooting for the Spurs right now because I think that would just be a phenomenal little matchup. But uh, you asked who I was scared of the most. That would definitely be Portland because uh, the Lakers just lack a certain uh, aggressiveness at the point of attack. Like KCP is not the perimeter defender that Avery Bradley was. You know, last year we used to put Brandon Ingram on Damian Lillard. That's obviously not an option anymore. Danny Green's just a little bit slow to contain him. So I very much worry about Damian Lillard. I don't think, again, I don't think there's a damn thing they can do to stop the Lakers, but their offensive potential is so incredible that you just worry about them getting hot a couple times and then, you know, throwing a real wreck in your plans. Uh, I was kind of worried about Memphis just because, again, John Morant is the kind of guy where I like Avery Bradley to defend him. I don't really like anybody else on the Lakers roster to defend him unless you're going to start Alex Caruso, and I don't think the Lakers are going to start Alex Caruso. So, I mean, it's 
it's a matchup that I don't love, but like Memphis is very young, very inexperienced. They've been blowing shit left and right, you know, ever since they got to Orlando. Yeah. So it's not the thing that scares me. Portland is the one that really scares me because you got the experience and there's just so much variance in terms of that three point, you know, success rate in Portland. I'm with you on that too. And then you look at the Spurs schedule, they got Philly, Denver, Utah, uh, Pelicans, Houston, and Utah again. So their schedule will be a little bit tougher now. They don't get a cakewalk in the Kings. Again, what a poor effort they, they have put forward and disappointed by that. You know why. And then you got the, that obviously had a close win against Memphis um, earlier. You want to jump into a couple of other things with you? Let's do that after a short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, back getting back to the Lakers. Now you're looking at at, at the lineups and, and how Frank Vogel is, is running things and who's getting some extra burn and who isn't. Uh, what do you think of Deion Waiters so far and his addition to the team? I've been really pleasantly surprised with Deion Waiters. I was worried about his level of physical fitness and conditioning, considering he'd only played three games all season heading into the hiatus and then obviously did not get to play a single minute with the Lakers once he got signed. Uh, so that was a little worrisome, but he kind of seamlessly fills this Rajon Rondo role. Like he's can bring the ball up against pressure. He's hitting shots. He's incredibly capable of getting to the rim on like just anybody. Um, I think it's weird that Frank Vogel seems to be tying his minutes to LeBron James's. It's kind of the same thing we always had a problem with where Rondo was playing with LeBron. Like we have two ball handlers on this team. Let's maybe stagger them. <laughs> and it also makes it harder to pair Caruso's minutes with LeBron, which I think is just the most valuable way to use Caruso rather than as a backup point guard. I do think it's valuable to get Caruso backup point guard minutes, like for his develop development. But I just don't think this is the time where we should be developing Alex Caruso. This is the time where we should be figuring out how to win a championship with this particular group. And the way to do that, in my opinion, would be to surround LeBron James with the shooters and Anthony Davis with the ball handlers. And for some reason, our bench lineups are just all different. Uh, but that was a very long-winded way of answering your question. I like Dion. Um, he's exactly the kind of shooter I thought he'd be in the sense that he's not a reliable shooter, but he can do a lot of other things well. And he's a little bit physical and stout, which makes him far more impressive defensively than Rondo ever was. So it's a, been a great pickup. Yeah, I like, I like what he's bringing to. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and what he brings to the team, what, what Waiters is. And that, that's the ability of a guy. Like you have Kuz out there who, who can go off for 30, but he can also shoot, you know, four for 19 in any given night. Mm -hmm. uh, Morris will, will bring that. And I think that Deion Waiters brings him a, a different dimension off the bench. So yeah, we're going to have to see how he figures this out with, with, you know, with the rotations. And the good part is for the Lakers, they were in such a good spot coming into this that they have the time to figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, he's going to be, a, and, and that was the thing, getting Morris and getting Waiters, it really, and even J.R. Smith to a certain degree, uh, will give Vogel some more options and, and some more looks. I mean, it's hard to complain when the team's sitting at, you know, what were they coming in 49 and 14, I believe into the restart. So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, you're obviously doing a lot of things right, but they, <laughs> you know, like to give them these different looks, I think that was huge to sign those guys and bring them in. Um, who have you least been impressed with other than maybe KCP? Is there anybody else like, uh, Dwight Howard hasn't really done much. I don't really, I was kind of irritated with Dwight personally about his take on masks and coronavirus, but we'll save that topic for another day. Um, any other players out there that you're like, okay, we're expecting more as we get deeper into, well, deeper into through the eight games here that they have before the playoffs start? So I think the, the centers were both pretty disappointing against the Clippers, but that's to be expected. The Clippers are just a really hard team to play traditional fives against because they can get so switchable and their small lineups are so good that I just don't think it's fair to judge JaVale and Dwight by how well they play in that particular assignment. Uh, but I also didn't think JaVale and Dwight were very good against Toronto. So that's a little worrisome because the Lakers derive so much their, their identity from just being big and overpowering opponents. And that's a lot harder to do when both of your centers are not playing well. 
so that's been a little disappointing. Uh, we already mentioned KCP, but I mean, other than that, like uh, we only saw one game of Markeith Morris, I believe. He only played yeah. in the Toronto game. He yeah. couldn't make anything. But again, like he just came back from being late to the bubble, right? He didn't report until much later. He hasn't played at all until this. I think he played in one scrimmage game and then just, you know, had to go out on against Toronto, which is a really tough defensive matchup. I reserve the right to uh, refuse judgment on him until I get a little more of a sample from him. Uh, but yeah, other than like the centers, I think the Lakers have been pretty decent. What do you think of the basketball overall watching the other games? I mean, even getting away from the Lakers, like I, of course the Thursday games were a little bit sloppy. We've seen some good ones too. And, and I think the, the levels raised, but uh, do you, do you think it's any, like, do you think it's going to get better in terms of quality as we go forward or mm -hmm. and, like how much of the lack of crowd and all that kind of stuff? I mean, cause I was wondering that too. I'm like, look, I used to play in, in some tournaments back home where you had to play at 8 a.m. and there's mm -hmm. literally no one in the gym. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it, it would end up being like, you might not have the energy, but these guys are, are professional basketball players. They'll keep their intensity going, you know what I mean? Because they want to win. But do you think that the level and as these guys adjust to it a little bit more, that'll get better for like in an overall scheme of things when you're watching the product? So what's interesting is that I think when the players bring the intensity, you don't really feel the lack of fans. Like, that Portland-Boston game from earlier today, like, I didn't really notice that there were no people yeah. in the arena because, you know, Dame and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Warren and everybody are, like, bringing the fire to the court, so you don't really notice it. And I didn't notice it against, you know, in that Lakers-Clippers game because those four superstars were very invested in winning that game. And so you felt that energy level without, you know, the need for an audience. Uh, I do think it's interesting that most people predicted that the offense would take a little bit longer to come around, and that has been the case for the Lakers, but – it has not been the case for a lot of other teams. I mean, Orlando has just been shooting the lights out of the ball. Uh, San Antonio has been playing really well. Dallas, Houston put up like what, 152 to 149 yeah, the other game. day. Yeah. Uh, it seems like certain teams are totally fine with their offensive footing. The Lakers are just not one of them. Uh, and that's fine because I think the, the defense will hold off, you know, most teams until the Lakers get to that point. But the basketball has actually been much better than I thought it would be. There's been some sloppiness, but – I think the fact that it's the same team, you know, like we always talk about how this is a longer off season technically than what the normal off season is, but mm -hmm. in a normal off season, you bring an entirely new set of players. Right. And this is not that. So that continuity appears to be carrying through a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah. And I, I think so too. I mean, I was looking at it, like I said, there's some games that I've watched that I'm like, okay, this is, this is terrible. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm just like, I don't even want to, I don't, don't want to watch this. I, like I said, I'm glad we have something to do instead of sitting and watching CNN or MSNBC all day and being like, okay, like the Nets Wizards game, although it was decent scoring, I, there's, you know, you're not going to watch a Nets Wizards game if it was on TV during normal times. I'm not going to watch it during a pandemic either. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, this is not going to happen, but I agree with you. That Rockets Mavericks game was great. The Celtics Trailblazers game was, was, was really, really good today. And, and the Spurs Grizzlies, as much as I can catch it, it seemed like it was played at a high level, but yeah, I think this is, it's obviously unprecedented. And I've asked the last couple of guests that I've had on, on the podcast. So I'll ask you the same question too. Do you think this, it, it's tainted at all if a team wins a championship? Should it be an asterisk thing? Or is it, look, you got to win 16 games, uh, get through the playoffs. It doesn't matter where you are and, and how you're playing it. That's the ultimate thing. Or are you like, yeah, this is under the circumstances where you have home court advantage, uh, lack of travel, all that kind of stuff. How do you, how do you view the overall champion? And, and are you going to say it's anything that should be kind of an asterisk? Or are you just like, no, this is that, they're, they're still champ. They won their 16 games. They're the champions. It's funny because I'm the person who every time there's a lockout season, I say, oh, this has an asterisk next to it. I don't think this is a legitimate champion. And that's probably because the Lakers have never won a title during a lockout season. 
1999, the Spurs won, and then 2012, Miami won. And this was back when I was still in my LeBron hating phase. Sorry, LeBron. Uh, so I thought it was funny <laughs> to say that, you know, his first title wasn't legitimate. But, you know, people get injured every year, right? Like Kevin Durant got injured last year. He didn't get to play most of the finals. Clay Thompson misses, you know, the end of game six. I don't really consider that a huge deal, but like, you know, the first Golden State year, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love are hurt. And there's, there's always miscellaneous circumstances that are happening. Uh, I, I do think this title is going to be viewed differently than the rest of them, but because it's like a worldwide thing that we're experiencing, not just an NBA specific thing, Mm-hmm. I imagine that the players will think of it as equivalent to any other title. Because like you said, they still have to win 16 playoff games. And as long as the format is the same, I think the champion will be viewed with the same level of respect as last year's or next year's. I get you. And I, I think so too. And I think that's, 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 uh, that's kind of the most um that's kind of the most important thing is, is what they think. It doesn't matter what some people not even sitting in a, at home or in a, in a, in a studio, literally sitting at home watching this is going to sit there yeah. and say, well, you know, that maybe they don't deserve to win it. They don't, whatever. Like I said, I think the intensity will pick up. And especially when you get into the playoffs, these guys are going to develop a distaste and a hate towards each other. Like, especially on the court when they're, you know, you're going into third game and fourth game and, and they're around each other all the time. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that dynamic plays out. We'll get you out of here on this, Sabrina. Final question for you. What's your prediction for the Western Conference final, Eastern Conference final, and who ends up meeting for the championship? Okay. Uh, I've been asked about this Western Conference finals thing like three times on three different podcasts in the last three days. And wow, you're just so in demand. Obviously, you're You're very busy and you're good at what you do. So there you go. It's literally just because I have no idea what to say anytime I get asked this question. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I am so split on what's going to happen with Lakers and Clippers. Like I I'm positive that the two LA teams are going to make the conference finals. I don't think that's a very interesting take. It's, you know, collision course. that has been predicted ever since, you know, July 5th, when we learned that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were signing with Clippers, but you know, there, there are things the Lakers do that the Clippers haven't seemed to figure out a way to defend in particular. Anthony Davis seems to be a real bugaboo for the Clippers. Um, They have two great LeBron James defenders, but LeBron James, also, when he wants to get to the rims, seems to have a way to do that, you know, even when he's being given the entire intention of the Clippers defense. So, God, I, I really don't know. I Like, the homer part of me wants to say that the Lakers are going to win. I, I'm very scared of the Clippers because when they look good, they look very, very good. I mean, they just dropped, what, 25 threes on New Orleans the other day. And I understand it's New Orleans, but it's still 25 three-pointers. And that is an mm-hmm. impressive, impressive total. Uh, I guess... I would I, I don't even want to make a pick I don't want to jinx it <laughs> I'm going to say that one of the LA teams will make the finals and I think Milwaukee will make the finals from the Eastern Conference uh still haven't decided if Boston or Toronto will make it against them my gut is saying Toronto so I this is really boring pick one two on both sides but it, it rarely happens so maybe something will come in the way Wow, Sabrina Merchant, right? Just going all out with this pick, going out on a limb with her picks. One of the I mean, LA teams the last the finals, time right? both <laughs> top seeds made the conference finals in both conferences. I don't think that happens very often. Even though it's the most likely outcome, it is not like super common. Yeah, no, you're you're right. And I I do think that I, I'm going to take the Lakers and, and Clippers obviously in the West, and I'm going to pick the Lakers. I just think that under the circumstances and the way that I've, I mean, I know LeBron had a bit of an ugly game against the Raptors, but I, I do think he's motivated to another level. I'm looking forward to seeing that series. I, I I'm agree, I'm with you. It could go either way, but um, I actually have a spine, so I'll take the Lakers. And 
And in the East, you know what? I'm going to go against the green. I'm going to say the Raptors make it up. I think they're deep. I think for a format like this and the circumstances that they're under, and I think Nick Nurse is a fantastic coach. He coaches the uh, Canadian national team as well. And I think the way that team is set up and the depth that they have, I think it might be too much for, for Milwaukee at a certain point. Obviously, they don't have that number one guy in terms of having a Kawhi Leonard like they did last year. But we saw what Kyle Lowry did against the, the Lakers. And I think you can have different guys step up every single time, whether that's uh, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, it doesn't matter. They have all these different guys that are going to be able to – Fred Van Vliet, obviously, is another dude. So I'll go with Raptors-Lakers in the uh, in the finals. And I'll reserve my pick for the finals once we get closer to that. <laughs> so you pick the Lakers and the Canadian team, Jazz. That's, hey, that's uh, it. Delightful. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I live in Los Angeles and I'm from Canada. There you go. That's that's really that's where I went out on a limb with that. Uh, Sabrina, thank you for coming on and doing this. Uh, you could and if you guys don't know, uh, check out Sabrina's work. She she works for SB Nation. Does does a ton of great stuff for our Laker site, Clipper site, King site, anywhere you can catch her. And you also write for the for the Sacramento, not the Sacramento, LA Kings too sometimes as well, right? That's correct. All right, there you go. That's Sabrina Merchant. You can follow her on Twitter at SabrinaJM. And check me out on Twitter as well, at JazzKang21. That does it for this episode. Don't forget, before I go, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. We'll have five podcasts coming out each week all the way through the playoffs. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. We are there. And, of course, SilverScreenRoll.com for all your Lakers needs. That does it for this episode. I'll talk to you all next week.